This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to THN on the O. As always, I'm your host, Tony Ferrari, joined every week by Brock Otten. How are you doing this week, Brock? Good, Tony. How are you doing, man? Not too bad. We've got a good episode today. We're going to talk about a little bit about the U18s and some of the Ontario players there for Canada and whatnot. And then we've also got the second round of the OHL playoffs just finished up. So we have the conference finals lined up and ready to go. So we'll discuss those. But first, let's get to our three stars. This week, we're going to have four, one from every team that won, won their second round series. Let's start with the guy that we've talked about a lot in this podcast, the guy that I'm a really big fan of, who didn't have the greatest year, but he's really turned it out in the second half and it'd been great in the playoffs, Ben Goudreau. Yeah, I think he unquestionably had to be considered the first star of the second round of the playoffs. He was phenomenal for Sarnia against Saginaw. The, the stats prove that. He was obviously with the sweep, four wins, um, nine sixty-six eight percentage and two shutouts, right? Like he was just... A man possessed. And I would say like early on in that series too, Tristan Lennox looked great. And it was just like a real goaltending battle, just a classic old school goaltending battle. And then I feel like Saginaw got kind of worn down towards the end of that, that series, but Goudreau was, was really good. And it was great. It's great to see because um, Sarnia is going to go as far as, as Goudreau can take them. And I, I do think he's got the chance to be the best goaltender in these playoffs. And he has been, I think so far. Yeah, he's been absolutely fantastic. And this is a guy that we've talked about many times. I remember going back to the World Juniors where, like, is that going to be the tournament that gets him back on track? Is he going to be able to have a good tournament and come back and and really stand on his head for this Sarnia team? He didn't quite have the best World Juniors in, in the world, but he did come back. He's been better since then. And it's been great to see him in the playoffs because this is a goal I think has NHL talent. I think he's a guy that's going to develop into an NHL player down the road, and it's going to be interesting to see kind of where the next couple of years take him. Yeah, I mean, they still got to sign him. I think that's the that's the crazy thing. But uh, a good playoff run like he's having so far, it should make San Jose's decision pretty easy, in my opinion. All right, now let's move on to London. Sean McGurn, three goals, five assists in five games for the London Knights as they won their series in five games. Yeah, and we've talked about McGurn a bunch on this podcast. And he's really been the unsung hero for the Knights this year. We've talked about how good the twins have been, the Denver Barkey and Easton Cowan, but Sean Gurn has really been the stir that straw, uh, the straw that stirs the drink, <laughs> sorry for, for London this year. And he's been really good. And it's not shocking to see that he was their best player in the second round against Kitchener, which they made pretty quick work of other than sort of one, not so great game, but otherwise uh, he was great. And London was great in that second round. Yeah. I think at the end of the day in the second round, it was kind of, just Kitchener running out of gas after uh, after beating the Windsor Spitfires in that first round series where they weren't really expected to win it. So I think uh, the eighth seed put up a good fight in the playoffs. They get to the second round, play London. But at the end of the day, London was just a powerhouse team as always. And Sean McGurn really was the, like you said, the stir that straws the drink. Um, <laughs> it, it's been a good series for him. He's a guy that that I think is going to start to generate pro interest over the next couple of years and in He's a great, a really good player. He's been good in the OHL. That talent's always been there. It's just been about getting everything pulled together. And he's done that this year. Yeah, I think definitely his strong playoffs are going to earn him a pro contract. 
I don't think it'll be an NHL one. Uh, I think yeah. he's the type of guy that's going to have to work his way up the ladder. But I'd be shocked if he's not playing in the AHL slash ECHL next year on some kind of pro deal. All right. Now we move on to North Bay's Kyle McDonald, who had five goals, four assists in seven games. The only series that went seven games in the second round. What did you think about his performance? I just felt like whenever North Bay needed a huge goal, Kyle McDonald was the guy that supplied it, including the game winner in, in game seven there on the power play, right? Just his shot is such an asset and just how much he's improved over the course of his OHL career. That, that's why he earned an NHL contract recently, right? As an overager, he was really good this year. He's been really good in the playoffs and he's part of that North Bay identity where that team just never seems to take a shift off. Just everybody is, is relentless on the four check. They've got a big team that plays fast and plays hard and they can finish around the net. And that's Kyle McDonald basically. Right. And uh, he deserves to be mentioned in this segment because like I said, whenever North Bay needed that big goal, uh, I felt like it was him. Yeah. I think what you mentioned there about Kyle McDonald kind of being the, I personifying the identity of the North Bay battalion, they play smart. They play fast and strong. Like you mentioned, it's a really fun team to watch and, and they've been fun to watch all year long. I think, we watched them go into that the, the conference finals now, and we'll talk about it in a little bit. But they're a team that has legitimate challenge, like has a legitimate chance to challenge for the OHL title. It's a fun team to watch, and if they're going to get performances like this from Kyle McDonald, among the many other players they have on that team that have that clutch gene, it's going to be really hard to take this team out. Yeah, and we've kind of said that all along. Like North Bay is. I'm not a sleeping giant because they've been really good all year, but I feel like they're they're a team that people have been sleeping on. Like people were talking about Ottawa being so good. And, um, people were talking about Barry being a, a real strong contender with Grant Clark returning. And then obviously Peterborough loading up and maybe they disappointed, but there's high expectations there. And North Bay was one of those teams that even though they've been really good all year, I don't know if anybody was really talking about them the way that they should have been. Yeah, and I think part of that is the fact that it is just North Bay. It's a team that out of sight, out of mind in a lot of in a lot of ways and just the location geographically. But you mentioned Sleeping Giant, and I think the next guy on this list plays for the Sleeping Giant left in the playoffs, and that's the Peter Rowe Pizza, Brennan Othman. He had three goals, four assists in six games. I think this is a guy that we've been waiting for him to turn it on all year. We've talked about how he's a playoff performer, and he really showed that in the second round. Yeah, I think if you watch that series against Ottawa – Peterborough kind of got different production from every line and different players every game. It was kind of very spread out. And I think that was part of part of the reason why they were able to dispose of Ottawa, uh, not easily, but maybe more easily than people thought they would. Um, but I think the most consistent player in that series, excuse me, was Brennan Othman. And I think it's about time, right? Like we've kind of been waiting for him to really dominate games as a Peterborough Pete, the way that we know that he can, right? And, this is his time to shine. The playoffs is his type of hockey, and he's the type of player that's built for success in the playoffs with his intensity and and with the way that he plays hard. And I again, I think he was their most consistent player against Ottawa, and I think he's going to have to be even better uh, for them to to beat North Bay. Yeah, I think you mentioned it there. The the guy that you you look at on that team that's going to play that playoff hockey is going to be Brennan Othman. He plays with tenacity, he plays with skill, he plays with vigor, he plays with speed. There's a lot of things that that go in his favor when the playoffs roll around. So I think he's a, certainly a deserving guy to, to be mentioned among the three stars uh, this week. It's going to be fun to see what those 
four that those two uh, third round series are going to be with only four teams left in the OHL playoffs. We'll get to those in a few minutes, though. But let's first look back at last week's episode a little bit. The OHL draft concluded. We saw the picks be made. Uh, we saw the kids get drafted, and we had six of the top. All, the top six all correct and nine of the top 10 correct from the mock draft that we did with the Jordan and, and Matt and, and Chase. What was kind of your takeaway from the OHL draft? Yeah, it was uh, obviously the, the top part of the draft went the way that we expected it to, uh, the way that our scouts that we had on mocked it. It was, I'm not going to say it was set in stone, but it was heavily rumored that that's the way it was going to go. And I think that there weren't really any, huge surprises i kind of expected william moore maybe to go a little bit earlier and we're going to get into that in a second with his eventual landing spot which had everybody on social media quite a buzz and for good reason right Uh, but overall i think it was kind of as expected if you will yeah i think matthew schaefer going number one it was a guy we've had on podcast a couple of times it was expected at the uh, by the time the draft rolled around, it was kind of known that he was the number one guy. Uh, he's number one on most draft boards. Everyone kind of loved the, the way he was able to play. And I think the other differentiating factor was the fact that there was such a big gap between him and the rest of the defensemen in this draft class that getting a guy like Matthew Schaefer was a real difference maker for this age group. I think that's the big thing. And then with Ryan Rubrick going and everyone like that, and it, it was a fun draft. And it's cool to see the fact that we had four of the top six guys on the podcast last week as well. Yeah. And, and, and great for, for those kids to be drafted that high, uh, really excited to watch them in the OHL next season. We already saw uh, Ryan Rubrick commit to Niagara, which yep. there was some thought that that was going to be a, a tough sell, uh, but that happened pretty quickly. So kudos to Niagara for, for getting that locked up and uh, it's going to be great to see him in a ice dogs uniform. Now, I know one of the things you were pretty interested in was the American-born players or American-based players coming to the to the OHL and how many would go in the first round. You set the over-under at one and a half. There was two drafted. What was kind of your thoughts on the two guys taken in the first round? Yeah, so I think there were the two guys that most people expected to go high. Uh, we had Cameron Reed, the defenseman, who I think a lot of people expected to go in that like top 12, 13 range. And then um, Hunter Brustavich's brother, Henry, was also expected to be a pretty high pick. Some people even mocking him as high as the, the like sort of sandwich Kitchener Rangers dual picks there. But he ended up going to Ottawa at the end of the first, which is really interesting in my opinion. Um, they've already got a really loaded young defense group in Ottawa, and I think that's it's cool that they're going to build out that as well. And then I, I think the other interesting thing was that there was – two more right at the beginning of that second round, right? So uh, four within the top 25, kind of how people had told me that things would go, like that's sort of my interest level. And it was because I was told that there was quite a few Americans who could get selected or are American base players. And I, I think we're seeing a lot more players from unconventional markets uh, when I say players, I mean like high-end players from unconventional markets going to some of these teams south of the border and um i'll give you an example the sioux greyhounds team for u15 was one of the best teams in ontario this year uh so you think okay that sioux team or that noha team the ohl cup or whoever whatever inclination it shows next year is going to be great well 
I've already been told that many of those two Greyhounds players are going to different spots, and a few of them are heading south of the border, I believe, to play with the Pittsburgh Penguins elite program um, that Jacob Kluche was playing in this year, who was an OHL pick this year. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like a lot more Ontario-based players are going that route, playing for you know some of these – not, not prep schools, but I guess they are. They, they It's such like a gray area because they can't be listed as prep schools to enter certain tournaments like Bishop Kearney, right? Um, but uh, I think this is a trend we're going to see more and more rather than play for a team that is going to make a lot of noise in that U16 loop because they got to go up against high-end G and high-end OMHA teams and things like that. But you're seeing a lot more Ottawa-based kids just the way that the – whole OHL draft and the whole Ottawa region is divided. Um, next year is a little bit different. So I'm curious to see if that has an impact, but yeah, um, I know that's a very long winded answer, but the, uh, the American kids, it sounds like there's going to be quite a few and, and so many that were drafted in like the mid rounds and early mid rounds, who I think have a chance like Brady Cleveland was one that, that stuck out to me. It was like, Hmm, Nobody drafted Brady Cleveland in a previous OHL draft. Here's a guy who's got a commitment to Wisconsin who, you know, they're kind of in a bit of a state of turmoil right now. Is that going to be somebody who gives a serious thought to coming to the OHL next year rather than go to Wisconsin, especially if Brady Cleveland gets drafted in, say, the first three rounds and, you know, has a good discussion with his NHL team about going to, I believe it was Sudbury that drafted him. There's a team that's mm -hmm. on the up and up, right? That's going to be a really good young team in the next couple of years. So very interesting. Yeah, it is going to be interesting because I think over the last five years or so, or maybe even 10 years, we've seen more and more players start to look towards the NCAA route as, as more of a realistic option, whether they're Canadians, uh, largely out West as well. They've seen a lot of AJHL and, and BCHL kids, go that route we're starting to see some kids look towards the ohl again and look towards these canadian hockey league teams again it's it's a cyclical thing i think we always kind of see that cycle repeat itself and eventually we're going to be back on that stage of a lot of kids looking at the the ncaa again it's going to see where that power struggle kind of winds up that's that's interesting to me over the next few years but yeah there was a lot of american kids taken in those mid mid and early rounds that should be good OHL players if they make it here. It's just whether or not they, they end up finding their way to the OHL. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, the next guy that we're going to talk about, William Moore, is one of those ones who's sort of on the fence. Yeah, he was playing in the GTHL next year, but he obviously has signed on with the NTDP, right? Yeah, that's a big thing. That NTDP program is such a big draw. And I think a lot of times, unless you're the top guys on that NTDP team, is it worth it going there? I think we've seen over the last few years, whether it's a guy like uh, like Ryan Fine or Will Vogt, who, who've kind of been relegated down the lineup now, or even in years past, different guys. If you're not one of those top line guys, if you're not one of those top four guys, a lot of times your talents get wasted in the bottom six and you don't get the, the, the credit. You don't get the love that a lot of these guys get. And you could be as good or almost as good, but because you're playing bottom six minutes, because you're playing bottom pair minutes and stuff, you're not quite getting the exposure, the experience and the development that you'd want. So I think coming to the OHL, going to the USHL route, going back to the C any of the CHL leagues is going to become a bit more of an option for these guys. If William Moore ends up being one of the top line guys on that team, maybe he ends up staying both years and doesn't, doesn't look at the OHL right away. 
But if he's not, if he's kind of finds himself in the middle six, not really establishing himself in the U17 year, if he does go to go and play there, that that London Knights team could be a really big draw for him. Yeah, and I, it's tough, right? Like you have players like Jimmy Snuggerud, right? There's a good example of a player who was playing a little bit further down the lineup as a U17, made some really good adjustments to his game, came into his U18 year, moved way up the lineup, became a star for that team, gets drafted high, and is now you know one of the more improved NHL prospects in the last call, uh, calendar year, right? For every story like that, you've got kids like Austin Bernovic and Alex Weirmeyer this year who – you know, we're more of those bottom six guys as U17 players. Same thing this year as U18 players. And then they end up being cut from the U18 team to make room for guys like Iserman and Higgins and uh, Cole Hudson and Kerry and Terrantz playing on that team uh, as an OHLer. It, that's got to be a tough pill to swallow, right? You, you sacrifice so much to join that team. And then the biggest showcase for your individual talent you end up being cut and not able to participate in right and it's not like a full death blow to your draft stock but it it's like one nail in the coffin instead of like you know four one in each corner it's the beginning right and uh that's got to be tough so if you're somebody who does find yourself on the outside of that u17 top six or top nine early on and yeah they do cycle uh, their lines a lot at the UC 17 level, um, but special teams play is is a little bit more unbalanced. If you get the sense, maybe it does make sense to to make a switch. And I think that's why when we look back to a couple of years ago, Colby Sagnyuk, uh did that, right? He was clearly found himself on the outside looking into that U17 team, saw that he was one of those candidates to be one of those guys dropped in the U18 year, said, okay, I'm going to take my chances going to Erie where I'm going to nut where I'm going to get a ton of ice time. I'm going to get power play time. Okay, it yeah, didn't work I, out. It didn't work out for his draft stock, but uh, he obviously at least got the playing time. Yeah, and I think that's the big thing, right? Like you look at a guy like Jeremy Wilmer who's playing in the, the NCAA now. He absolutely exploded this year, but he struggled to find ice time with that NTDB team. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what a guy like William Moore does over the next year or so. Can London entice him as London always seems to do with these American kids? Uh, or is he going to go to that U17 year and make a decision after that? It's certainly going to be interesting. But uh, you mentioned the U18, so let's move on to that. A lot of, lot of Ontario-based players playing on that Canadian team this year. Canada obviously struggled in that first game against Sweden, but they've been pretty good since. Who's been kind of your standout among the Ontario-based players for that Canadian team? For me, it's it's an easy answer, and it's and it's not necessarily maybe the one that people would thought. Definitely not the one that people would have thought heading into the tournament. But it's got to be Porter Mortone. Like uh, he has been so good as an underage player, um, and an underage player that's not getting a ton of ice time. I feel like. Every time he's on the ice, he's making things happen with his line mates. And they've kind of moved around the lineup a little bit. They've got him killing penalties. He's been really good. And he's not draft eligible until 2025 because of a late birthday. Like, he's one of the youngest players in this tournament. And I think he's been one of the better um, 06 players for sure. Maybe not at the same level as, like, Cole Iserman, who's in contention for, you know, one of the higher draft picks. But... 
I think he's definitely put himself on the map as somebody who should be looked at for a very high selection in 2025. Yeah, I think he's been really good this this tournament. I think obviously a little overeager getting a major penalty and, and everything like that early in the tournament, but he's been fantastic. The guy that I, I'm going to kind of point out is Nick Lardis, a guy I've been pumping throughout this, the last few months on the podcast. In that Sweden game, he was Canada's best forward, in my opinion. He was the only guy kind of generating offensive chances. He's got three goals in the tournament so far. He's been really, really good, I think. He's been generating offense. He gets to the net. He's been kind of facilitating in the in the neutral zone. I think he. I, I'd love for him to be a little bit more of a facilitator in the offensive zone, but he's using that shot to the best of his ability, creating chances off rebounds. There was a two-on-one play that didn't end up resulting in a goal, but it was him with the puck, and he shot it off the goalie's pads in the – Rebound went right to a line mate that that put the puck wide. There's been a lot of really good things that he's done this tournament, and I think he's been fantastic. Is there a guy that's maybe disappointed you a little bit, though? From the OHL, uh, maybe, I mean, not really. I think Colby Barlow has been a bit snake-bitten. I think he's generated some chances. I think he's played well at both ends. I think he's been pretty good, even though the, the offensive production hasn't been huge. I think the one guy uh, that's really disappointed me so far and he's not an OHL guy, and that's Andrew Christel. Um, yeah. He, I think a lot of the concerns that the scouting community has sort of brought forward about his game and the projection to the next level, I think they've really been magnified at this tournament. It's why he sort of found himself moved further down the Canadian lineup because, okay, he has had some really good moments, but on the whole, from like a consistency standpoint, from shift to shift, I think he's struggled a lot. And I think a lot of it has had to do with his inability to sort of get distance from defenders. Um, you can see the the skating deficiencies there. Yeah, he's, he's great on his edges. He does have good uh, agility, but that sort of explosiveness in any direction just isn't there. And he seems to be having a lot of trouble with really creating space for himself, even though his hands are, are really good. Uh, I think that's that's sort of been the one thing I've been disappointed with. Yeah, I'll agree with you on Crystal. I think uh, I was told by an NHL scout early in the season, kind of just before Christmas, I think it was, that Andrew Crystal's Mitch Marner if Mitch Marner had no ability to skate. And I think the more and more I watch him, the more and more I go, man, in the offensive zone, the things that this guy can do, the passing ability, the playmaking, the vision, everything is there, the, the puck skill. You just need to get him in the offensive zone and, and put him on a line that works well to cover up the weaknesses that he has. He can't be a guy that's relied on to transition the puck. He can't be a guy that's relied on defensively all too much. But in that offensive zone, he can be a special player. The problem is with a tournament like this where it's a small time zone, you, you don't have a lot of time to adjust and generate time with your teammates. And this is uh, a problem with Team Canada every year at this tournament is a lot of these other teams, Sweden, obviously the United States with that development program, Finland, Czech, Slovakia, obviously all these teams, they play in four nations tournaments. They play in five nations tournaments. They get these guys together multiple times throughout the year to kind of develop that chemistry, see what works, see what doesn't work. If you get a guy like Andrew Kristal with a guy that can be a really good puck transporter and a guy that can get into that offensive zone and then let him do the, do his thing, I think he'd have a lot more success. The problem is he's not finding that mesh right now with that Canadian team and you don't have time to mess around and try to find that chemistry. You just got to start moving him down the lineup and hopefully he finds something that fits lower in the lineup, but it hasn't quite been there so far this, this tournament. So he's certainly been a disappointment for me as well. And honestly, I think it, the, the Canadian goaltending overall has been a little bit disappointing for me. I think 
Bjarnason's been fine, but he's been leaky at times. There have been a few rebounds that I'm just like, ah, you should have had that one. That's that's one that a, another goalie in the tournament probably has. One of the better goalies, whether it's Emil Vaney, uh, the, the Swedish goalie, or even a guy like Rabel or, or uh, Augustine. Uh, Augustine, yeah, sorry. But it's just the fact that he hasn't quite been at that level. He hasn't been bad, but he hasn't quite been good, and I think that's the differentiating factor. Yeah, I'd agree. In fact, I would say, like, I've been kind of disappointed with the goaltending overall. Like, I, yeah. I thought that the goaltenders in this class were really strong, and I still do think so. But I think all of them have had their real leaky moments. He used that word, and I think it's a great one. I think Robble was was poor <laughs> against Canada, good in the other games. Augustine has been up and down. He's had some problems, I think, covering his posts and some of his positioning hasn't been great. Um, obviously, Bjarnason, a really terrible game against Sweden, has been just okay. Uh, yeah, I think that there was a really high standard set for this year's goaltenders, and I don't know if they necessarily met it. So the medal round will be really, really interesting to see who sort of steps up. Yeah, it, it's certainly been an interesting tournament so far. It's uh, not been the, the cleanest tournament, but it's been a good tournament in terms of uh, fun hockey being played. Uh, let's move on to the previewing the conference finals, though. This is the OHL podcast for, with the hockey news. So let's start in the West. You have the two versus the three seed, London versus Sarnia. It's going to be a great matchup. What's your first take on the on the series? Uh, first take is it's going to be a battle. Uh, this is this is going to be a, an outstanding series, and I would be shocked if this doesn't go six or seven. I, I really would. I, I think that. Both of these teams are getting great goaltending right now. Uh, Goudreau, as we've talked about, is playing well. Brett Rocho is, is playing well. Uh, London, obviously, extremely tenacious, extreme, extremely aggressive. They like to push pace. Um, Sarnia likes to do the same. It's it's going to be two teams just trading blows, and uh, I'm really excited to, to see how this one shakes down. Yeah, it's going to be a great matchup. I think you you get the the star power of the of – the... Of the Sarnia Sting with Ty Voigt and and Pashajov and everything, and then you get the depth and kind of just the the system that is the London Knights. I think that's going to be the fun thing with them. They've obviously got Brett Brochu and Net, who's maybe the best goaltender in the OHL, and then you have Ben Goudreau and Net for the Sarnia Sting, who's been the best goaltender in the playoffs, arguably. It's going to be a matchup where I think whichever goaltender flinches might be the first one to kind of let up. And, and then it's going to be about who can recover. I think both these teams are going to get their shots in on one another. I, I don't think that's going to be a, a question. But who's going to not recover? And who's going to let the other team get momentum for more than a game or two? Like you said, I think this is going to be a six- or seven-game series. It's going to be a fun series. Uh, do you have an X factor maybe for one of these teams? Yeah, I think that an X factor for, say, Sarnia is going to be – one of their secondary scoring guys, because I think London's going to do their best to shut down Void and Pashijov. So it's, it's going to be on somebody like Sanisville Manis or Marco Sikic, uh, Easton Wainwright, those types of guys in that like second and third line role for Sarnia, because London is going to do everything they can to shut down the big guns. And they definitely have the ability to do that. We've seen them do it to, to other teams in these playoffs. We've seen them do it to other teams over the course of the whole season. Right. So I think Sarnia definitely needs their secondary scorers to really step up. And thus far in the playoffs, they have done quite well. Um, but that's, in my opinion, that's a really big X factor in the series. 
my X factor is going to be for the London Knights, and it's, it's got to be Brett Brochu. I think he's had a good season, but I don't think he's quite been as great as we all kind of expected. Can he outduel Ben Goudreau? That's going to be the thing going going forward. And, and then, like I said, London's depth is really good. I think they've got guys up and down the lineup, whether it's a guy like Brody Crane or Easton Cowan and Denver Barkey, the twins there, Sean McGurn, George Diaco. They've got a lot of guys that can affect the score sheet. It's just going to be about which guy is going to get going offensively at the same time. Yeah. So, I mean, prediction time. Well, what are you thinking, Tony? Uh, I, what do you think? I'll let you go first on this one. Uh, this is a tough one. I think it's going to be a really good series. I have Sarnia coming out of this one. It's going to be seven games, in my opinion. But I do see Sarnia's star power, a guy like Voight, Pashajov, even Del Belbelouz, coming out on top and being able to kind of just get them past the point of, of, of not, no return. I've got Sarnia in six, and, and here's why. I think if the series goes seven, I think it's probably London, um, just because of that home ice advantage. But... Uh, I do think Sarnia comes out on top in this series as well. They Again, they've been my pick for the OHL championship since the, we've started this podcast and talking about the playoffs and just with their strong run in the second half. So I, I have to stick with it. They haven't given me any reason to doubt them. So, All right. Now moving over to the east, we have the Peterborough Peets taking on the North Bay Battalion. Two of the better teams in the OHL on, the, on that side of things. The number two seed versus the North, number four seed. What's your initial takes? You mean it's not the North Bay Battalion versus the Sarniest thing, as I tweeted out? Yes, yes. Uh, I got those a lot were of fun for that. I, that those, you cannot those were tweet fun at tweets. like 10 o'clock at night when you're <laughs> half asleep, because that is the reason why. Uh, uh, Sarnia but, versus Sarnia final is going to be great. Yeah, though. it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait. <laughs> it's like an old-fashioned shinny game. You just throw all the sticks in the middle and everybody picks. Uh, uh, anyway, no, I, I think that... My heart wants a good series, but I do think that North Bay is going to take this one in about five. And, I, and I'll tell you why. I think that Peterborough, obviously the moves that they made was to get them to this point. And thus far, they have delivered on that. But I would even say that I don't think Peterborough's played amazingly in these playoffs so far. I think that they played a young Sudbury team who I don't think was really ready for the challenge of, of the OHL playoffs. Then they get an Ottawa team who I think a lot of us that cover the OHL, uh, you and I included, were worried about how many young players they had in key roles and just that experience factor. Um, and obviously injuries it played a little bit of a role there too for, for them in, in Ottawa. Like, um, Tyler Boucher not being able to play Jack Beck and, and just things like that, right? Like um, Jack Beck's obviously, I don't think, the, the most healthy right now. And uh, I think that not that's not to say that Peterborough had, has had an easy road. I think that they've had an easier road than North Bay um, thus far. North Bay having to go through Barry, who I think you and I, if we were to have just simply guessed based on the two teams that we think were the best, heading into the playoffs in the Easter Conference. I think you and I both might have said North Bay and Barry. I know that you were very big on Barry heading into the playoffs, um, and I thought they had a really good chance, and then they ended up meeting in the conference final or the conference semifinals, and it was a battle, right? Um, so North Bay is battle-tested, and they're healthy, and I just I think that they've got the goaltending advantage. I think Simpson has been up and down for Peterborough. Um, he's been good, and he's been not so good, and – uh, Di Vincentis has, has been great, uh, as you'd expect. And they've got a veteran group that can play fast, that can play hard. 
Um, and I, I do think that their team chemistry and their overall playing style should allow them to come out on top. My big thing with the Peterborough Peets, and I, I tend to agree with you on the fact that I think it's going to be North Bay. I, I have it in six games, but I think the big thing with the Peterborough Peets is we haven't seen this level of play for an extended period of time this year. I think the biggest thing with them is we, we talked about them a lot like how we talked about Kitchener this year is they have the talent. Where is the results? And, and we're, we've seen that in the playoffs so far, but like you mentioned, they've had a bit of an easier route than a team like the North Bay Battalion. I think this North Bay team is really, really loaded. They've got so many guys in this team. And I think when you look up and down the lineup, you talked about Kyle McDonald. He was their fifth leading scorer this year. A guy like Josh Bloom is a guy that we've had on the podcast, provides leadership, provides two-way play, provides a little bit of everything. That's not even to say talk about Matvey Petrov, Ty Nelson, Kyle Jackson, who are up at the top of the scoring chart for that team. This is a deep team. It's a good team. They play fast. They play physical. And they just play smart. I think they're maybe the smartest team in the OHL this year. And I think that's going to be the differentiating factor is this – Peterborough team is fun to watch. They've got some talent, certainly. Guys like Brent Othman, Chase Stillman, Connor Lockhart, they've got some really good players. Tucker Robertson even. I don't know if I can see them putting it all together yet again after not being able to do it for so long. Maybe they have found the magic touch, but I, I just don't believe in them enough to take down this North Bay team that, like you and I have said, really is just an absolute loaded team. And you mentioned Ottawa being that top seed in the in the conference and we had those worries with the young players. I think at the end of the day, we talked about it at the start of the year, this Ottawa team kind of overachieved throughout the entire season. They loaded up a little bit at the deadline as well, and that was awesome to see. But it wasn't really a shock when Peterborough beat them at the end of the day. So I think looking at this team, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun series. But I do think North Bay kind of comes out and maybe they lose a couple games. Maybe one of them are in OT, OT or something like that. But at the end of the day, I think this North Bay team is just too strong to, to take it. Yeah, completely agree with you, Tony. I think you hit the nail on the head. All right, so let's go from here, and we have our we have our OHL final, in our opinion. It's going to be the Sarnia Sting versus the North Bay Battalion. Do you think Sarnia has enough to take out North Bay? Yeah, I, I do. I think that, uh, again, it's been my pick. I, I've got to stick with it. I think that... They play a similar game to North Bay, but I think they've just got just a little bit more firepower, right? I think that on the back end, um, you know, with with Kairou, with Del Mastro uh, up front, with Pashajov and Voigt, I just think that there's just that little bit extra bit of firepower that North Bay doesn't have. I agree with you. And I think the other thing with, with the North Bay Battalion is they haven't really faced a team that has the goaltending that the, the Sarnia Sting will have with Ben Goudreau. I think that's going to be a big difference maker too. So it's going to be interesting to see. And at the end of the day, when we're wrong about these series and we're watching a final between London and Peterborough, this entire part of the conversation will be all for nothing. <laughs> we just got a men in black people with like the, I forget what they called it in that movie, but the, like the wand. The clicker links, thing. Yeah. The clicker thing. Yeah. yeah. What we'll really do is just have Connor go back, take this section out and it'll be not, not even. Yeah, yeah, it just doesn't exist. That's right. <laughs> All right, let's move on to a couple of the draft prospects of the week in our draft spotlight segment. Figure we do the, keep with the U18s theme and talk about two under the radar defenders performing at the U18s this year. Right now, we've got Tristan Bartucci, who we're going to talk about first, who had 50 points, 11 goals, 39 assists in 30, 63 games. He's a guy that you've been pretty big on this year. Yeah, I thought we could talk about both these guys at the same time, just with them playing at the U18s. 
them being kind of similar projection style defenders at the next level. And two guys that I think that NHL scouts like a lot more than, say, the internet scouting community. Um, and to start with Bertucci, the selling point here is you've got length, you've got good forward mobility, and you've got good smart play at, at both ends, right? You've got a really good, solid all-around defender. He's the type of guy who gets his shot through the net, smart in the offensive zone, smart in the defensive zone with the puck. I think that his scanning habits have always stood out really, uh, really as a, as a positive for me. I find that he's always shoulder checking. He's always making that right play in his own zone with the puck. Um, and I think that he's also a very aggressive defender, loves stepping up in the neutral zone, loves stepping up at the blue line, loves to disrupt uh, with his length, with that mobility, knowing that you know he can recover. And I think that as he gets stronger, we're going to see him be even more effective. We've seen him kind of get burned a few times at the U18s from playing that aggressive defensive style where he tries to step up to make a play and uh, it, the speed of the decision-making of the other team, the, the quality of those players is just kind of at a level that he's not used to. And um, I think that he's going to have to learn to pick his spots better as the quality of competition increases. But I really like him as... Uh, a John Marino kind of player. I've used that comparison a, a bunch and I've heard others use that comparison. I, I think it is very apt. Yeah. I think he's a guy that defends the, the blue line really well. I think he, he understands how to defend transition in today's game with the speed that they, that opposing teams play with and that's just every team in general, you have to gap up. You have to try to stop him before they even get into the offensive zone. You mentioned he steps up in the neutral zone. He plays a good physical game as well. I think that's a big thing. And, and let's loop in Andrew Gibson here. Who's the other guy who, who plays with Stu Greyhound, seven goals, 14 assists, 21 points in 45 games. He was a guy that dealt with injuries at times this year, but he did come back towards the end of the year came back for the U18s as well. This is a guy that plays a similar smart defensive game. I think Bertucci plays a little bit more physically. Gibson's a little bit more of that analytical guy that understands when to gap up, and he has a little bit more of the understanding of things. I just don't think the physical gifts are as, as great as there with Bertucci. I would say, like, in terms of the physical gifts, I would say his skating isn't as mm -hmm. fluid as Bertucci, but I would actually qualify him as, as more of a physical player than, than Tristan. I think that Gibson isn't the type to go for the big hit or anything like that, but he is really good yes. at taking away space. Um, he's very suffocating as the play gets closer to the net. He's really strong in the corners. Um, he really makes you earn puck touches. And I think that that is the quality that's going to get him drafted. I think that he has a really solid projection as a good stay-at-home guy at the next level. I think that it'll be interesting to see how his offensive game develops. We've seen sort of hints that there is some offensive ability in there. I think he's a really strong player away from the puck, uh, especially in the offensive zone. I think a lot of his pr point production this year have come from just really good reads in the offensive zone in terms of pinches or, or um, you know, good off-puck movement in terms of sliding into gaps or, or beating – uh, opponents to the net and things like that and jumping up in the play. But when he's got the puck in his stuck, he, te he tends to keep things pretty simple. It's it's quick decisions up the ice. It's quick, de uh, quick decisions out of his own zone. It's quick shots on net from the point, trying to get pucks um, either deep into the corners or on the net itself. Um, he is somebody that plays a simple game, but I think plays an effective game. I think that there have been some times at the U18s, just like Bertucci, where um, – 
he's tried to play aggressively and gotten burned. And I think that's just something that he's going to have to figure out how to sort of blend the the two, right? When to pick those spots. But I think both of these guys are end up are going to end up as I would even say top 60 picks. Uh, I'll say it. I think that both of these guys get picked in the first two rounds. Yeah, I think they're two, they're two sides of a defensive defenseman coin. I think we look at Bartucci and he's a little bit more of that aggressive step up, defend the blue line, defend in transition and throw that big hit kind of defender. And Gibson's more of that in zone around the net in the corners. And it's not to say either can't do the other thing. I just think the other each of them excel at one of those things. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see where they go because I know NHL scouts have liked both of them a lot at various points this season. So it's certainly going to be interesting, but let's cap today's show off with the NHL team of the week. And this week we've got the Pittsburgh Penguins prospect pool that we're going to look at. There's only one player in this deep and lustrous prospect pool that the Pittsburgh Penguins have built up over the years. And it's Nolan Collins, defender of the Sudbury Wolves. He's got 30 points, eight goals, 22 assists in 63 games. 52 penalty minutes seems a plus 11. What's kind of your read on his NHL projection? I mean, it's really interesting that we segue into Collins because I think his play at the U18s last year was what got him drafted. I think that yeah. he played pretty well at that tournament for a Canadian team that didn't have <laughs> a great defense. I, I think that's even maybe... That's kind of you. Yeah, it's kind of me. Uh, and I think Collins was was good. He wasn't amazing in that tournament. I think there were there were moments where he was over his head, but I think that he did enough to to warrant a draft selection. And I actually really liked his project or his progression with Sudbury this year. I think he had a a really good year, and I think he was better offensively than I thought he'd be. I think that he showed more with the puck and showed a really good level of maturity in his game with the puck and his stick in the defensive end. I found that turnovers were were a big problem of with his game in his draft year. I think that he struggled making those exits and he struggled with his reads and he struggled with his scanning. And there was a lot of times where he was overwhelmed by four checks. And I think that that was a really, that area of his game really took a positive step forward this year with the Wolves. I think that he was a lot cleaner uh, for lack of a better term. I think his play really cleaned up and uh, I don't know if, he has significant offensive upside at the NHL level, but you and I both know that even really good stay-at-home defenders at the NHL level produce offensively in junior. Very rarely do you see a guy in the OHL go from being like a 25, 30-point defender to somebody who's playing 15-plus years in the NHL. It just even – those guys were able to do well enough offensively at the junior level, right? So the fact that Collins was able to, to get to 30 points this year and show progression uh, as somebody who can play with the puck with confidence, I think it's a very positive step uh, in his development. I think it bodes well for his future. I'm not going to say that he's a surefire NHL prospect or NHL player, but I feel a lot better about his odds now than I would have, say, after the draft last year. Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's a, he, this is a player that has average to below average tools kind of across the board. He's a good physical player at times. He's a decent skater, but not really a, a great skater. I think, like you mentioned, that step he's taken in terms of reads and the intelligence that he's plays with, he plays with, that's been the real big step for him. I think understanding how to play offensively has been a big thing. Uh, and just be a functional offensive player. Like you said, he's not going to be a guy that goes out and blows out the NHL and, and scores 30, 40, 50 points at the NHL level. But 
he's starting to show that he has capabilities of being a pro player. Is that an AHL guy that never really makes it to the NHL? Is that a guy that's a fringe NHLer? That's still very much up for debate, but you're starting to see what the Pittsburgh Penguins saw in drafting him. And, and that, and that's certainly a positive, I think this year. Yeah. And he's probably moved up to like the fourth best prospect in the <laughs> Pittsburgh Penguins system at this point too. And uh, yeah, with that, let's get out of here before we start to, to dissecting the vast and deep prospect pool that the Pittsburgh Penguins have across all leagues. Uh, but w- thank you for listening. This has been a fun episode. The U18s are finishing up towards the end of this week. We'll be back to cover a little bit more of that. We'll be back to cover some of the, the conference final series next week. Make sure you rate, subscribe, review wherever you're listening, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, wherever it may be. We appreciate you listening, and we will see you next week on THN on the app.